Hey there, I'm Ange McCormack, the host of Schwartz Media's daily news show, 7am. This is The Weekend Read. Every fortnight, we feature the best writing in Australia, read to you by the people who wrote it. Today on the show, author Don Watson, with a recent piece from The Monthly about Sir Douglas Bader. Sir Douglas Bader was a remarkable Royal Air Force pilot in the Second World War. Brazen and courageous, he managed to escape death countless times, scored dozens of victories, and was even redeployed as a pilot after having both legs amputated. However, in the words of Don Watson, Sir Douglas Bader was also a bit of a stinker and an unreconstructed racist. Yes, it turns out he is a classic 20th century hero who is ripe for a classic 21st century cancellation. Don will read his story, Heroes and Villains, after a short conversation. So, Don, you've written about Sir Douglas Bader in your piece. Can you tell me about who he was and when you first discovered him? Well, he was a hero to me as a boy. In fact, writing this thing, I remembered the biography, parts of it word for word. I must have read it so many times as a kid. I think I was disappointed when I reached the age of 18 and I hadn't lost my legs and become a pilot. Right. <laughs> he, was a, um, he was a hero to lots of people. I've had many people write to me about this character because... We boys wanted to be RAF pilots. They were the ultimate in um, of course. in daring do. They were sort of like the knights of, you know, Arthurian legend. Actually, since writing it, someone came to see me and said um, that she had a close friend who was in Colditz with Barda. See, Barda was, was um, shot down over France and um, spent most of the war in in prison camps from which he constantly tried to escape. Um, much to the chagrin of some other escapees who said, you know, lacking legs did rather hold them up on the ground when they did get through the tunnels. <laughs> but she said, uh, her friend said Bader was the most obnoxious person he'd ever met in his life and was always encouraging young men to escape, saying it was a duty to try and escape from Colditz and they were always getting shot as a result. And when Bader came to Australia in 1958, he held a dinner for old uh, Colditz inmates and no one went. They loathed him so much. Anyway, so our heroes do tend to have clay feet, um, as we know. But you asked who Bader was. He was a um, kind of son of the of the Raj. Um, went to a, he was a product of the English private school system. Um, he was a terribly jolly hockey stick sort of fella. Um, of a class of people who I suppose after, you know, who revealed themselves in the First World War, who died in droves in the First World War as lieutenants straight out of the private school system. And I think Bader was sort of influenced by that and by stories of British heroism everywhere. He lost his legs showing off in a plane in about 1931 and kept reapplying to rejoin the RAAF and, uh, the RAF and eventually they accepted him as, when war broke out. And he was... Highly successful as a pilot, shot down 25 or so German planes. And it's funny now, and I think as a kid, I did sort of suspect it was strange that he'd never, there was never any condemnation of Nazism. It was just like, here we are, we're fighting the old enemy Germany, you know, and it was like knights going at each other in the air instead of on horseback. There was nothing about ideology as far as Bader was concerned, I suspect, except the idea of Britain as an ideology, I suppose. Mm. And and what was that wake-up call like for you to have a, a redefined version of your boyhood hero? Well, I laughed, really. <laughs> <laughs> a 
It's in Ben McIntyre's book, um, which has just come out on Colditz and the people who were in there. And I mean, he was he was <laughs> he was a genuine stinker. I mean, he was <laughs> riddled with class affectations and a notion of rank. From a safe distance, I don't feel too bad about being a mug, you know. But, um, <laughs> but there'll be lots of other boys now in their 70s who feel the same way. Mm. And what's the point, if any, do you think of cancelling someone after they've died and well after there can be any kind of accountability? Does it mean much? Nothing at all. It's just silly, <laughs> you know. I mean, I'm mocking the idea of cancelling a man born in that time. So you end up saying, well, they were, if he was a man of his time, we better cancel the time because <laughs> they were all, people were like that. I mean, that's not to say that there are, uh, that there are not always in history people who seem modern by comparison, who, who refuse to do the damnable things that most people are doing at the time. And I mean, I found that, you know, in, in looking at Australian frontier history, you know, and we, we, we're faced with this other rather unpalatable fact that it was people like Bader who won the war. Mm. You know, it, it, it's, it's much the same with Churchill. You could cancel Churchill on a thousand grounds by modern standards. You know, the absolute imperialist, racist, all those things that we find abominable now, Churchill basically was, and a drunk to boot. <laughs> Don, I look forward to hearing you read your piece. Thanks so much for speaking with me today. Pleasure. Coming up after the break, Don Watson will read his piece, Heroes and Villains. Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House, on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. Heroes and Villains If, as someone said, no man is a hero to his valet... It is also true that every man is a valet to his hero. Well, as we make them, we can break them. So I have cancelled Sir Douglas Bader. Others may choose to follow my example, but for now it is a personal cancellation, not a global one. For readers not familiar with the name, Douglas Bader was a fighter pilot, a World War II air ace. Countless boys of my generation were raised on his heroics, as described in the Paul Brickhill book, Reach for the Sky, and its film adaptation in which the always jolly decent Kenneth Moore played Bader with jolly decent pipe-addicted indomitability. A hyperactive offspring of the British Raj, the Western Front, absent parents and English public schools, Bader joined the Royal Air Force in 1928, and three years later, while lairising in a Bristol bulldog, he crashed and mangled both his legs. Bad show, he wrote in his pilot's log, but that was only after someone took hold of his severed femoral artery and held on to it until he reached hospital, where his legs were amputated. Soon after, according to the Brickhill biography, Bader was drifting to the very edge of death when he heard a nurse in the corridor say, Shh, there's a boy dying in there, whereupon the boy decided he would live. That is the first part of the legend. Man defies death and is reborn. The second part goes like this. With war approaching, 
Bada, now with ten legs and a golf handicap of five, insistently begs the RAF to take him on as a fighter pilot. The RAF at last relents, and over France in 1940, and soon after in the Battle of Britain, he shoots down a couple of dozen German planes. Of all those alpha male marvels of daring do fighting duels to the death in the skies above the English Channel, Legless Bada was the most marvellous. That's the second part of the legend. Man who conquered death becomes death's instrument in the war with evil. But then, in a dogfight over France, he loses the rear end of his plane. As the disintegrating Spitfire hurtles spiralling towards the fields of Pas de Calais, the famous air ace manages to extricate himself, and beneath a parachute, in my boy's imagination with his pipe still clamped between his teeth, he floats safely to the ground. German soldiers capture him and take him to a hospital, in the very town where the father who abandoned him died of injuries suffered in the earlier war. To escape from the doomed plane, our Douglas had to tear off one of his legs, but so great is his renown, in the interests of public relations, the Germans take leave of their usual beastly senses and with Hermann Goering's express approval, allow the delivery of another leg from England. At this point it is useful to remind ourselves that the story is true and not one got up by Cervantes or Hans Christian Andersen. No sooner has he strapped on the new leg than Wing Commander Bader is abseiling down the wall of the hospital on knotted sheets and hobbling off in the dark towards England. The Germans find him in a haystack and send him to a POW camp. When he tries to escape, he is sent to another camp from which he also tries to escape, and so on until he winds up at Colditz Castle, which is all but escape-proof. And there he remains for three years, planning escapes, mocking and abusing his captors like a fiend, and generally exercising his outrageous ego until the Americans arrive. In the last part, our Odysseus hitches a ride with a glamorous American female journalist and motors triumphantly through the ruins of Europe to be reunited with his wife and home in the England he has so valiantly defended. So ends a real-life story that might easily have been a rendering of some antique fable, one of those protean fantasies of the human imagination that resound in all civilizations across all time. And who knows if it were not the echoes of all the tales of wonder ever told that engraved Bader's story so deeply in our boyhood imaginations, deeply enough to relegate even the great racehorses and Betty Cuthbert. So now, in gathering elderliness, it is unsettling to learn in Ben McIntyre's new book about Colditz that Douglas Bader was a bit of a stinker. In Colditz, he made a personal valet of a little Scots prisoner, one of several the Germans shipped in from other POW camps to be orderlies for interned British officers. Every day, the orderly, a fellow British soldier after all, was obliged to bring Bader his breakfast in bed and carry him, sans les jambes, on his back down two flights of stairs to the bathroom and up the stairs again when Bader had finished his ablutions. When the valet was offered a place among a group of men to be exchanged with German prisoners in Britain, Bader made sure his man was made to stay in Colditz. In all his three years of servitude, the Scotsman recalled, not once did our hero say thank you. Then, a few years after the end of the war, Bader wrote an introduction to a book written by Hans Ulrich Rudel, a formidable Luftwaffe airman. Rudel was more than a dutiful warrior for his country. He was an avid, unreformed Nazi, and in Argentina after the war, a friend and protector of war criminals, including Joseph Mengele. 
Confronted with these facts, Bader made no apologies. His war, it seems, was with Germany, much less so with Nazi ideology or even Nazi crimes. In truth, Bader was more than a bit of a swine personally. He was a bit of an unreconstructed imperialist racist stinker. His attitudes were at least as bad as Enid Blyton's. To not cancel him would be unfair to Noddy, among others. They will say, of course, that we should not judge him because he was just a man of his time. And it is true that among the dauntless crews of the RAF, there were surely others with odious outlooks. We might have to cancel the whole lot of them, those few to whom the many never owed so much, as Churchill put it. Churchill, there's another one. Come to think of it, why stop at the few? We should cancel the many who made heroes of them, just to make sure we don't miss any. In fact, instead of cancelling all these men of their time, it would be easier to cancel the time of these men. The whole time. Yikes, you say, but really, what would it matter if we drew a big, thick line through history? No one reads it anyway. If we don't know history or give a fig for it, who will notice if in the name of truth-telling we excise portions we find uncongenial? Or if by vandalising monuments to old heroes we replicate the follies of the valets who put them there. As Douglas Barter defended freedom and decency in his spitfire, and whatever his sins he did, we might be brave enough to defend them in places where, until recently, we studied history and all the other fields that prove the baffling complexities of the human story. Weekend Reads, you can subscribe to The Weekend Read in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.